Shall we make a start and have a first of two Bible readings this morning? Sandra's going to come and read from the New Testament, and Mark's going to read from the Old Testament, and then uh, we'll start to think about what it means to support one another in prayer. But thank you, Sandra, yes. All right, well, good morning, everybody. The reading this morning is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Morning, everyone. Our second reading is uh, Exodus chapter 17, and I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. So that's Exodus chapter 17, entitled Water from the Rock. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord had commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Herob. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The Amalekites defeated. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, 
choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now I'm going to invite Zoe up and pray for her. Thank you, Zoe. Gracious Father, as always, thank you for what a great God you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And uh, I just pray this morning that our hearts, our ears will be open to you. And just pray the spirit will work through uh, all of Zoe's preparations and thoughts this morning. In your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Sandra, for reading the passages that we're going to travel through together this morning. So I want you to cast your minds back to the summer of 2018. Now, for some of you this morning, your response might be, I can't remember what I did this morning, or let alone last week, or life before the pandemic. We're kind of living in this like fog or mist, aren't we? For others of you, you'll remember exactly where you were and what you were doing, and some of you might mark it by significant sporting events in the calendar and go, oh, I remember the 2018 Russian World Cup and England did X, Y, or Z. Some of you might have had children that were taking exams that year and you remember that summer in particular. Others of you might have been pregnant at the time and you now can't remember what life before your children looked like. My aunt seriously redates history as before Christ, BC, and calls it before children. Like really significantly, she can't remember life before children. Maybe if you were pregnant at the time, like Kat Caird was, you'll remember where I'm going with this memory exercise this morning. If you Google the summer of 2018, you will find that they, it's been labeled as the European heat wave. It was extraordinarily hot. Now, during this European heat wave, my family was still farming. We, as a family, had received my dad's uh, early onset Alzheimer's diagnosis at the end of 2017 in the November. 
That Christmas, we spent our Christmas holidays working out a plan, meeting with different land agents at the time, trying to work out how we could get out of our farming tenancy, and then make a decision to sell our cows, find our parents a place to live, and work and live with this diagnosis of dementia. I was in my final year of studying a theology degree at the time, and I was working for two Methodist churches and now planning a farm sale. Now, I'd never been to a farm sale before and then found myself needing to organize one. I don't know if you've been in that position before. You kind of make it up as you go along. For those of you like me that couldn't picture it, a farm sale is like animal bargain hunt. That's the way I describe it. You line up all your machinery, all the goods you have in a field, and quite frankly, some very nosy farmers, some of which have the intention to come and buy some of your items, some don't, come walk through this field and work out, note down uh, what they might like to buy, and then get ready for the bidding to commence. It's a bit similar with the animals as well, with the cows. They come and inspect them, and they note down in a little catalogue. You almost make an Argos catalogue, but without the pictures. And then, like I said, the bidding commences. It's a day out for farmers that very rarely get out. There's a burger van. It's a whole ordeal. But as I said before, this summer was unusually hot. We'd managed to negotiate to leave our farming tenancy early on the 25th of September with one condition, that we needed to leave behind 400 tons of silage, so lots of food, for the next tenant to come in to survive the winter with their cows and then to make a go of it. Simple, we thought, yet no rain came. One day I walked the 188 acres that we were renting at the time with our farm manager or farm advisor and said to her, where is this grass going to come from? The land was scorched, the grass just was not growing, it was shriveled, it was yellow, and the land was really, really hard. Now, we lived on a wet farm, so we did a lot better that year than some other farmers, but it was immensely challenging. The balance was, do you open the supply of food that you had made to keep your cows looking well, to sell well, or do you leave the food behind so you don't get fined. Now, we were approaching the farm sale in July, and we were, I was drumming up local business at the time. I was talking to every farmer in the church that I worked for, making sure that they were going to come to the sale. But the sun just kept on shining. Now, a few weeks before the sale, I was leading a service at my church, and I'm not sure, well, I'm probably certain that you've experienced this. Sometimes people can say the most unfortunate things, can't they? With us just without realizing it. So I was about to lead this service, and I was just chatting to someone before the service started, and she said to me, Zoe, this is probably the worst time to sell your cows. It's so dry, there's a shortage of grass. At the moment, no one is looking to expand. They're just trying to look after the cows that they've got. And the thing is, she was absolutely right. I don't know how I got through that service, because inside I was beginning to panic. There was a financial figure that we had to make to see us complete on the house that my parents were going to live in. And farming with my dad so ill was so tough, but everything felt like it was against us. My parents were retiring 10 years early, no income, no place to live, with this diagnosis to wrestle with, 
Yet there was just no grass anywhere for anyone to look after so many cows. The day before the sale, we were preparing. We literally got every cow professionally washed, anything you can do to make them look good, ready for the sale day. Now, the day came, and how a sale works is that each cow would come into the ring. They'd be given a little story, a little bit of history. Their best features would be described, maybe their back legs or how much milk they produce. And your best cows would go first. And if your best cows had given you a calf that year, then their daughter would go into the ring as well, almost to say, look what the mum can produce by the calf too. But you'd always get a group of buyers at the end that would just come for your worst cows to sell them straight away for meat. So you kind of have people after your best cows, people after your worst cows, and then there'll be this lull in the middle. And I was dreading this day. Emotionally, we weren't sure how we were going to cope. And I remember that morning receiving so many text messages from people in the church that I was in or swim at the time that I was training with. Have you had that before where people are covering you in prayer? We're praying for you today, Zoe. May you know God's peace and God's favor. We're standing with you in prayer today, Zoe. We're thinking of you and the family today. We are with you in this. You are not alone. We described that day afterwards as my dad's living funeral. Now, you don't get to go to your own funeral, do you? But he sat there and watched every cow, his investment, his time and his energy be sold and distributed to other people. But that day, we felt an overwhelming sense of peace. Even joy, even a little bit of pride, actually, at what we'd managed to achieve in the challenging circumstances in a world and an industry that me and my brother knew very little about. God was in this, and everything was going to be okay. But we got to the middle of the sale, and we were in the lull. Uh, Average cows weren't selling well, and the interest just wasn't there. And then, I kid you not, it started to rain. An unexpected, unforecasted, sharp shower came out of nowhere. And the auctioneer's words went, come on, people, the rain is coming. Your grass will grow again. And I kid you not, these people started to bid. And in that moment, it was almost as if there was a release. The pressure wasn't there for us anymore. These cows were someone else's responsibility. But I can only describe that moment as a supernatural breakthrough. The atmosphere was changed. And this was kind of a confirmation for us. In the middle of this heartache and pain, God was with us. I've got a picture to show you, just so you can uh, hold this moment with me. This is our favorite cow being about to sell. My brother sent us this picture. Uh, as she was about to go into the ring. But do you know the words that the disciples prayed when Jesus calmed the storm and they were on the boat and they said, even the winds and the waves obeys him? And in that moment for us, when that rain came in the middle of the sail, we were kind of like, even the weather, the grass and the farmers obey him. It was absolutely miraculous. The rain came, we were upheld in prayer and there was a moment of breakthrough. That day, I also got my degree results, and I remember texting my tutor at the time, 
uh, from SWIM and saying, what a big day, a first in my degree and 65,000 pounds more than we needed to buy my parents a house. The rain came, we were upheld in prayer and there was a moment of breakthrough. Today I want us to consider just that, how we are to support one another in prayer, how we can carry one another on our hardest days where we can pray for the supernatural to happen, for rain to come, for persistence, for encouragement, for provision in abundance. Because James tells us to pray. It's that simple, isn't it? In the passage that we've had read to us this morning, he tells us why we should pray, who we should pray for, and in what circumstances. Is one of you in trouble? Pray. Pray for yourself, pray individually. Is one of you sick? Then the church elders should come and visit and pray for you. Pray individually, pray in people's presence, support one another from afar, pray together, confess your sins, your, wronged, your wrongdoings, the needs that you have. And then James says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. Praying for each other can bring healing not just physical healing, but spiritual healing, emotional healing, healing to a relationship that might have broken down in a community that we live in. So I want us to drill into two examples this morning about how we can support one another in prayer. Firstly, we're gonna think through that story in Exodus chapter 17, where Moses is supported, physically propped up to pray in their hour or need. And then we're gonna think about how James uh, kind of singles out Elijah and says that he was a man just like us, who was persistent in prayer. And I don't know about you, but I like examples that are just like us. Realistic role models are the best role models, aren't they? Not unattainable saints. So we'll look how Elijah prayed. But I want you to picture that scene that Mark read to us in Exodus chapter 17. I'm Moses, and so far all my people have done since I've relentlessly begged Pharaoh to bring them out of slavery is grumble and mumble. They've constantly criticized and complained. And the question they keep asking me is, is this it? I mean, God has been faithful to us so far. He's parted the Red Sea. He's got us here this far, and he's fed us each day. And they're still asking me, is this it? Now, I'm trying to keep everyone on the move, upbeat and expectant, but I can hear the mumbling and grumbling again, going, is this it? This time, though, they're asking me for water. They're thirsty. Do you know what one of them said to me? Is God gonna let me die of thirst? They still don't get it, do they? I've had enough at this point. So I said to them, why do you argue with me? Why do you quarrel with me? And why do you put the Lord to the test? All I could do was cry out to God in prayer and exasperation. Lord, what do you want me to do with these people? They hate me. Before you know it, they might even stone me. Lord, I'm exhausted, I can't do this alone. It's me against all of them. I need you to break in. So God said to me, 
Strike a rod with your special staff. You know, the one I used to separate the Red Sea, the one I used to show uh, Pharaoh the signs and wonders. And with that, you wouldn't believe it. I hit the rock and water gushed everywhere. Everywhere for all of us. Not just a drop, not a gallon, but like a flowing stream of water. For a minute, there was gratitude, silence, even a thanks. So I named that place for my people to see what God was doing. I named it, surely God is among us or not. Come on guys, can't you see? He is here in our presence. But you wouldn't believe what happened next though. We were being attacked, this time by a mighty army, the Amakites. Now they're looking to me again, the leader, They want me to come up with a plan. So I said to Joshua, come on, I need your help. Tomorrow, go and face them. Take a few men with you, and I'll stand at the top of the hill, and I'll cry out to Yahweh in prayer. I'll hold up this mighty staff of God in my hands. You can imagine it, can't you? That went down like a lead balloon. The grumbling and the mumbling, the question saying, is this it? Is that your master plan of attack? Now, I was on my knees at this point, and I needed help. I couldn't go alone. I couldn't face another battle by myself. So I took Aaron, and I took her. They've got my back. The battle commenced. You can picture it. Whenever my hands were in the air, we were winning. But whenever my hands were lowered, the enemy gained ground. Now, it wasn't about me or what I was doing. It was totally Yahweh's doing. Whenever his name was being claimed over the battle, we had the victory. But I had to take my part. I had to be involved, and my arms were aching. I could feel the burn. My cry was agonizing. Lord, help us. I hit a wall, though. I was tired, and I was weary. So do you know what they did? They got a stone to prop me up. Aaron and her, they held one arm each. I needed their strength, their support, and their prayers. I couldn't have done it by myself. It was their presence with me that said, I am with you in this. My hands in their hands remained steady until sunset. Afterwards, I built an altar to the Lord, and I called that place, the Lord is my banner. For hands were lifted to the throne of the Lord. I will always remember that place. God's faithfulness covered us like a banner. Now, I love that story. What an image it is, a visual image, a practical image. For those of you like me, that's a practical person. Moses couldn't do it by himself. I want us to latch on to that image this morning. Others supported him. They physically propped him up with a stone and with their hands. They didn't leave him. They shared his burdens, and they lightened his load. So as we ask this question this morning, how can we support one another in prayer? We need to be people like Aaron and Hur, that come alongside others. 
During that period when my dad got diagnosed and the relentless study and the practical needs of the farm, there was often times that I didn't have the words to pray, didn't have the emotions to describe how I was feeling or the headspace to think it all through. But others prayed for me, they carried me, they upheld me, they supported me, they encouraged me. But how did I know they were praying for me? They told me, they messaged me, they reached out to me. So when we pray for others, we need to make our presence known, either by being together or sending that word of encouragement. Have you had those times where you felt carried in prayer? Where you've understood the meaning, the meaning that says you've known the peace of God that transcends all understanding? I ask each one of us today, who are you currently praying for? Who are you walking this journey of faith with? Who knows when you need help? Who knows when you need a stone to prop you up? for others to lighten the load. I wonder if this is an image for our life groups to cling on to this year. But we are a group that props each one up. We know who's in need and how we can pray for them and practically support each other. Because what do we see here in this story from Moses? We are stronger together. We are meant to do this life with people. We heard it last week, didn't we? Luke preached so well that we are to encourage one another daily. So we don't get tired or burnt out or exhausted on the way like, a, like Moses so easily could have done. Moses needed encouragement. We need encouragement. And what do I see in this passage? I see two contrasts. Maybe it's just me, but I see grumbling and mumbling. And they're asking the question, is this it? And then I see some people that choose to remain persistent and faithful, and they say, I am with you in this. I want to be a person that says, I am with you in this. I don't want to be a grumbler or a mumbler. It's about being present in other people's presence, isn't it? And I think that's what Jesus did so well. He was present with whoever he saw. He used to get interrupted and then do a little miracle and then go on his way. He was present with people. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I wonder how often we forget this because the reality is our grumblings or our mumblings are ineffective. But choosing to pray about our circumstances will have power and effectiveness. I acknowledged in my preparation time this week that I often forget that the most powerful resource I have is prayer. Sometimes you can find yourself saying, I'm really sorry, the only thing I can do is pray. The only thing I can do is pray for you. It's not a last resort. It should be a, an incredible resource that we go to first because our resources lack something, don't they? But we can rely on God and his power to break in. There's something incredibly powerful when the church of Christ chooses to call on the name of Christ and intercede and pray for one another. And when they live in a faith and an expectancy that God is gonna change circumstances, we see that James holds, and rightly, a very high view of prayer. 
We can see from the passage in Moses' life where we understand the need to walk life with others. But how should we pray? Well, let's pray like Elijah. Because when it comes to prayer, I've already admitted that often we can feel inadequate. We label other people as prayer warriors, and normally what we mean by that is that they dedicate a lot of their time to prayer. But we can be left feeling like we don't, like we almost need to do more. We need to learn how to pray. Now, James says that Elijah was a man just like us. And I think that's a really notable comment because it provides us with great encouragement. The Amplified Version of the Bible, uh, or this verse, says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical and mental and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. In other words, he gets as much wrong as we do. And he prayed for it not to rain, and it did not rain on earth for three and a half years. Do you remember the dialogue in 1 Kings chapter 17 when we're first introduced to Elijah? And he's a prophet and he gets sent to the king, to Ahab. And basically, in summary, it says, Elijah says, if Yahweh withholds rain, then this will prove that Baal is powerless. Baal was the god of rain, fertility, and riches that they were choosing to follow. So Ahab was pretty confident. But we know the story. The prophetic word came true. There was a drought and a famine that caused severe challenges in the land. We see God care for his prophet Elijah through ravens and a widow. And then we see the contest, don't we, between Baal and Yahweh, the test. And it shows that God will tolerate no compromise. Jesus later tells us the same thing, doesn't he? That you cannot serve two masters. Baal was silent, the prayer goes unanswered. Whereas Elijah elaborately prepares the altar, drenches it in water, and then fire comes. This tells Ahab that the signaled rain will come. Yahweh proves Baal to be powerless, so therefore, Yahweh requires Israel's full devotion. So the scene ends where Elijah tells Ahab, go and eat and drink, for the sound of heavy rain is coming. We're just going to pick it up, the passage in 1 Kings 18, verse 42, so we can see and learn from Elijah about how he prays. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. Tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So what do we see? If Elijah is a man just like us, And we are to pray like Elijah, James encourages. 
we see that Elijah prays in faith and expectation that God will answer his prayer for rain in the same way that God withheld rain from the land for three and a half years. But he didn't pray alone, did he? He asked his servant to go and look, to look towards the sea, to come back and to report. He said, come on, I need your support in this. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Seven times Elijah sends his servant back. Keep going. He worked at it. He was relentless. He asked for help. He said, go again, go again. He was specific in prayer. Lord, we need rain. Yahweh, show yourself. Call your people back to you. And on the seventh time, a cloud could be seen as small as a hand. So Elijah, in faith, sends word to Ahab, and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. James encourages us, we are like Elijah, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. We can walk with God in the same way, experiencing highs and lows, droughts and abundance. Because we know the story, what happens afterwards, after this incredible answer to prayer, is an incredible spiritual low. Where Elijah finds himself desolate, in despair, in depression. And God, by his grace, comes by, passes by, and whispers to Elijah, and gently and lovingly restores him. If we are like Elijah, James tells us to pray like Elijah. Pray specifically, continually pray. Pray in a way that involves others. Ask for help, support one another, and be expectant. This week at our partners meeting, we asked that exact question, didn't we? We discussed together how can we pray corporately as a church? We talked about praying in life groups or praying creatively or praying with focus. And we're going to continue that conversation because in this theme about family matters, what makes the church family distinctive is the fact that we are a praying family. We have a hope to bring, don't we, to the painful experiences in this world. We can say, I'll come and pray with you. Let's pray about this. Let's message someone and let them know that I am standing with them in prayer. We can stand by one another and we can say, I know today is a big day for you. I'm going to come to the farm sale. We are going to be there with you. We are praying for you. How can I help you? In my weakness, I can't change your circumstances, but I can pray for you. And the reality is we're probably not there yet, are we? And I realize today some of you may feel abandoned or hurt by church. At some point in your life, you may have experienced that people haven't been there for you in your greatest hour of need. And my heart breaks for this that you've walked something alone. And today, like James encourages us, we can pray for healing in this community that we are part of. We can say sorry for the times where we haven't been faithful to supporting one another in prayer. But the question I've been pondering recently is do families ever get there? And I don't think they do because the reality is we're not working towards a destination. Instead, we're working out how we can journey better together along the way. I've been a part of my family all my life. Ironic that, isn't it? I was born into my family 25 years ago. 
And in that time, we've seen so much change, so much loss, so many things evolve. But what is precious, what I hold on to, is that we, no matter what change we see, we stand together. So that's the image I want us to land with this morning, that supporting one another in prayer looks like standing with one another, choosing to be together, praying together, and in this together for the long run. If you're in the building this morning, I'd like to invite you to stand. Uh, Stand with me as uh, we pray together. Because I feel that this is a symbolic act. If you can stand, if you're able. It's an image that says, together we choose to stand with one another. I'm going to invite the band to come, and I'd love to pray for us as we choose to stand and walk this journey of faith with one another. Let me pray. Father God, we need your help to help us to stand one another, to support one another in prayer. If one of us is falling, may we prop one another up, like Aaron and Hur did to Moses. So, Lord, that we can remain faithful to you in the task. Lord, help us to pray with expectancy that you are going to move. Lord, we are aware of the situations in the life of our own church at the moment, but right now we haven't seen the rain come. We haven't seen it yet, but Lord, this morning we pray by your spirit that you would bring release. Lord, I ask this morning that you would be close to the brokenhearted, those who have felt abandoned by your church in their hour of need, in the past or maybe the present. Lord, I pray this morning for anyone who feels disconnected, that you would bind us together, heal us together, bring us together. Thank you, Lord, that you are just as faithful to us as you were to Elijah. So give us a hunger for prayer, we pray this morning. Wake us up, Lord, where we need awakening. Break into our lives and our circumstances. And Lord, we pray that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. In Jesus' name, amen.